the family name that lives on. It's all that lives on. Not your personal glory, not your honor, but family. Welcome to the Know Your Legacy podcast. I'm your host, Vipul Basanya, and today's guest is Jared Warren. Jared runs the podcast, Success, the Success 101 podcast, which focuses on sharing tips and his life experience on what it takes to achieve peak performance. And he's interviewed the likes of Jesse Itzler, Sean Stevenson, Ben Greenfield, you name it. There's many, many more, all individuals that have achieved peak performance in their own lives. On top of that, he also runs a financial consultancy practice and is the author of the book, From Success to Significance. So Jared, thank you so much for being here. Man, I am so fired up to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. No, no problem at all. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be here and to impart your wisdom. So um, the first thing that I actually want to cover, I think what you're known for is your experience in achieving peak performance and the the reason that you do your podcast, basically, because I, I know a bit about the backstory of where it's come from, why you had to, your back was basically against the wall. So you came to a point where you felt like you need to achieve some sort of peak performance, otherwise you weren't going to progress. So I just want to get your take on why you've now focused on peak performance. I, I had to, I absolutely had to. It's a world that is very foreign to people that have never been at the bottom. And I mean, look, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to mix words here. There's a lot of people that have been further along or down that well in life than I have. There are so many people that have so many things. I'm a very blessed person. There are so many people that have so many things that are worse off than mine, but everybody's reality is their reality, right? I mean, you can only feel what your reality is. And so for mine, it was absolute extreme burnout, self-sabotage, negativity, fatigue, uh, all the things that I had really my pride was wrapped up in earlier in life. I didn't need sleep. I could roll with the best of them. I can grind all day long. You know, the hustle and the grind that you hear about so so many times in today's society, which absolutely, which is really false, absolutely false. And we'll, hopefully we cover some of that. But the hustle and the grind and just, just out-muscle everybody, that's what I was all about. And I found a lot of energy in that. And that gave me a ton of success in my 20s. It was something that I really embraced. And what ended up happening was whenever I got, for lack of a better phrase, when life happened to me, whenever I started running a 40-person office, when I had my third child, whenever uh, just life, you know, just as you get older, money issues, stress issues, uh, responsibility issues, I, I remember... I hadn't planned to talk about this, but I'm going to go into it. I don't mention this very often because I don't know how to describe it, but I remember very vividly walking through my master bedroom in my house one day and I'd heard about people having panic attacks and stress attacks and not being able to breathe. And what was my closed-minded you know, thought on that for so long in life? It was, oh man, just suck it up, right? Like muscle through, the tough survive, get over it. And what ended up happening was I don't know where it came from. I don't know even how to describe it, but I felt this stress. I felt this weight, literally a physical weight on me that I'd never felt before. And I remember getting on all fours of my bedroom and just stopping. Nobody was in there but me. 
my wife, my kids, they were in the, the rest of the house. And they're like, there wasn't even really anything going on that day, except for a couple of things that had gone on at work, whatever. But it was self-sabotage. I wasn't treating myself the right way. And I remember getting on all fours in the floor and feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm being pushed down by this weight. I can't breathe. And I got up after probably 30 seconds, I sat on the bed and I was like, holy crap, what was that? I'd never experienced anything like that before. And immediately I understood what people went through whenever they said panic attack, anxiety attack. I, that was probably mild compared to what some people go through. But until your reality becomes your reality, you don't understand it. I sat there for a few minutes. I moved on. And about two weeks later, about half of that sensation came on me again. And I just stopped in my tracks and I was like, enough is enough. This is not the life I want to live. I was incredibly negative, pessimistic, um, very small vision. And the funny thing is, I didn't realize it, Vipple, until all of that happened to me. And so I just said, look, there's got to be a timeout. I, I've, I'm not going to be a great father. I'm not going to be a great husband. I call myself a leader. What kind of leader am I if I'm just sabotaging myself with negative thoughts every day and being critical and judgmental? And so that is where peak performance came into the picture for me, frankly, because I had to. I was driving myself. And this is not, I don't, I don't uh, over-exaggerate too many, you know, too many things. I was driving myself to an early grave. I probably would have ended my, any success I would have had if I, you know, continued down that path. And I may have even ended my family. I have no idea, but I was a miserable person to be with. And it was all the grind and the hustle and muscle it through and be critical of everything and just black and white. Everything's black and white. Don't try to get any feelings involved. Just grind. And man, I'm here to tell you, that's what status quo tells you is success. And that is not success by any means whatsoever. I'm sure you know that through people you've interviewed on your show already, just as I have. Yeah, that's, uh, it's interesting you say that you were brought to that point where you were physically taken down by that weight. That it's not, it wasn't even a physical weight. It was like an emotional weight. And it was, I guess, the stress of the time that had caught, caught, caught it, up with you. And every yeah, time, it felt like a physical weight though. And, and I just couldn't believe it was happening after I'd been so judgmental to people that had you know, described those sort of things before. So Yeah. And the way you describe it is it's as if it was a symptom of like a deeper issue that was happening almost. And it's, it's like life was knocking on your door saying, look at me. I, there's, there's an area that I want you to address. You're not addressing it. Now I'm going to have to force you down. Yeah. Until all yeah, you have and, to think about is and, this, because I need you to address this before you can move forward in your life. Well, am I no, right in saying that? 100%. 100%. And I'm thankful for that. I am so thankful. I am so grateful that I learned that at a young age. I was 33 whenever that happened. I'm 36 now. And I'll tell you, I've had a complete 180 life change and I'm so thankful for it. Um, I don't want to prescribe that sort of thing to other people, but I know for me in a strong willed, prideful, fill in the blank, whatever you want to say there, if that hadn't happened to me, I don't know what kind of man I would be today. I, I described it briefly a second ago in just the fact that I wouldn't be a great father, husband, leader. I would be, I would be a shell of what I am today. And so I'm so thankful that happened. Uh, as you mentioned, I run a financial advisory practice, top ranked financial advisory firm here in Dallas. I get to meet with lots and lots of people throughout the year, probably meet with a couple hundred people every year. Many of them are very upset in their jobs, very unfulfilled in their jobs, very upset with the lack of success that they've had, whatever, you know, whatever success means to them or to you. And some of them are in their 50s. Some of them are near 60 and they're starting to realize the, I guess I would say, wasted life that they've had. And so if there's anything that I can tell your listeners today, Vipple, is just 
the time passes by so quickly with the absolute chaos. I mean, you, you see it here. I mean, all these people rolling down the road behind me here, right? I mean, there's just so much noise, so much chaos out there. It's the same thing in London where you are. And we are flying by. We're not present. We're not engaged. We are just literally blinking and life is going by. And I'm just pleading with your listeners to not let it get to the point that I did. It's probably good for you if, if that happens. You know, I know that sounds really weird, but don't let it get to where I did before you realize how precious your time is and how a life change at whatever age is helpful. But I'm just so glad in my 30s, my early 30s, I learned that instead of being like my clients in their 50s who are just now starting to come around to wasted time and wasted life. What would you say is one of the biggest regrets your clients have I mean, when they talk to you about their issues that they've got in their life, I don't mean financial, I mean like emotional, like life regrets that they have, obviously, because they're, they're, they're older than me and you. Um, so I'm just curious to know. So the listeners have a bit of idea in terms of what, what's actually happening to individuals at that level. Yeah. So how old are you, Pipple? 26. Okay. So you're 26. I'm 36. Um, it's funny. You'll blink. I remember when I was 26 and I was starting my financial advisory career that I'm in now and it literally feels like yesterday. So I'll answer that two ways. The older clients that I work with, their uh, regret, I guess if we, if we put it that way, their regret is wasted time, wasted life, not being present, not being involved. Take it back to the whole hustle and grind mentality. Like people don't want to hustle and grind. Like if you can figure out a way to push a button every day when you wake up and just have things magically happen, who wouldn't want that, right? Uh, I do think through hard work, there are a lot of lessons that are learned, but nobody wants to hustle and grind, but that's what society tells you that you have to do in order to stay on track with where it is you want to be. But my older clients, I would sum it up to a wasted life or not being present. My younger clients who haven't experienced that yet, who are in their 30s or in their early 40s, um, because a lot happens, I mean, a lot happens, probably the majority of your change in life happens between your twenties and let's say mid thirties, right? I mean, just so many things happen, whether it's marriage, kids, buying a house, starting a business, all those things happen. But there's a lot of different things that happen between your forties and fifties that especially as, as guys, not to exclude the ladies, but especially as guys that are looking for worth and value, we're going, okay, wait a minute. I had this goal. I had this dream. I had this thought of where I would be and I'm not there at this point oh my gosh, have I, have I wasted this? So the younger ones haven't experienced that yet. Their whole idea is I haven't achieved success fast enough. So it's a really interesting paradigm between 20s, I haven't achieved success fast enough to getting out to your 40s or 50s and realizing that's not even what I was looking for the entire time. Anyway, it was more about being present and, and creating memories. And I think that is a fascinating concept when I'm working with my financial advising clients or my uh, personal coaching clients that I hear it all across the board. And so my conviction that I, that I build for myself, my family, my friends is at a younger age in my thirties, how can I make sure that I reduce the noise around me constantly? I cut down on the amount of distractions. The whole peak performance message you mentioned is what I am all about because I was forced into it and I'm so thankful for it. But I think it's more about being present, being intentional, not having a wasted life not necessarily the success that we're chasing. And that's what your podcast is about. It's the legacy. What legacy are you leading? What legacy are you leaving behind? And I think that's fascinating. Yeah, that's, that's the, the point that you touched on there towards the end where you mentioned about um, experience um, being more valuable than the money itself. Because I guess once you get to that stage, when you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, et cetera, you then turn back and realize, hang on, I'm not sure how much time I've got left. 
because I blinked and I was 25. I blink again and now I'm 60. And time isn't something you can get back. You can lose your money. You can get that back. You just go and find a job or start another business and over time you'll get it back. But the time still passes you by. And you tend to, I guess I haven't reached there yet and I haven't felt this, but I try and manufacture the feeling of time's running out. I better do something now. Like this sense of urgency that I need to pack in something that's valuable because I don't want to get to 60 and think, what have I built? I haven't built anything. Like you want to, you want to know that you're heading towards the end, knowing that you've built something that can, that can last longer than yourself. And I think that feel that void is what people get scared of. And one the good thing I'll say just before going back to you is there's a, there's an individual um, by the name of Lisa Nichols and she was talking, she's in the personal development space. And she said, people aren't actually afraid of death. They're afraid of people. Uh, they're afraid of dying yeah or not even knowing they existed in the first place and i I just thought that was really powerful so well i was going to say kudos to you at your age for understanding that i know i didn't get that at 26 to me it was about you know building something and achieving and even on the weekends when my wife we got married whenever i was 26 she would go take a nap and i would say oh i can't nap i feel so irresponsible i have so many things to do and peak performance as we mentioned a lot of times peak performance is resting. It's sleeping long hours, super long hours. I mean, that's peak performance. It's all part of this recipe, right? You don't bake a cake just by throwing in uh, sugar, which is what everybody loves. Unfortunately, you throw in sugar and you're like, I have a cake. No, it's an entire recipe. So peak performance, a lot of people just really just narrow it down to my success, my what they think the, what they think is significance, but my success, my achievement, my worth, what I've done, uh, oh, I'm, I'm peak performing. I'm living up to my max potential. That is like one rest. That is one ingredient of the recipe. And many times that's not even as we, as I mentioned a second ago, we discussed as you get older, that's not even what you're looking for. You're not even looking for the sugar in the cake. You're looking for all the other things that were underneath the scenes. But kudos to you for at your age, understanding that because, you know, when you're younger, I heard somebody say this at one time is time flies by. And people told me just like, they'll tell you when you have kids, time flies by even faster. And you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. But you don't, you don't know what that means. Right. And you blink and time does fly by. And I think it's because whenever you're eight years old, you've lived like this long of your life, right? If you live a, a long life to life expectancy, you live like this long of your life. So like a day or a week or a month, that's a long time to you. But then you get out into your thirties or into your forties or into your fifties and you've lived such a long life that you go back to a day and you're like, oh, that's a blink. You go back to a week. Oh, that's a blink. Time's flying by because we are used to associating time with longer intervals. And I'm here to tell you guys, and I'm again, so thankful I learned this at a young age, but if you don't tap into this now, if you don't heed what we're saying right now, even you at 26, you will be that person that looks back just like my clients do and go, why didn't I heed the words of others? Why did I wait till I got to 50 to realize I'd missed out on so much of life? So I'm just begging you guys just to really understand that time is fleeting. And, and that's another thing we haven't even discussed. You don't know how long you have on the service. People die every day. What is your legacy? What do you leave behind? What if it all ended tomorrow? What if you were told you had 48 hours left to live? Or what if you were told you had six months left to live because you have cancer? I talked to a client just this week whose wife had passed away they told her 10 months ago, you've got a certain form of cancer. We caught it early. Think we can beat it. And it just progressed super fast. And he called me this week saying, hey, my wife passed away. We just never know how long we have. And 
the success, quote unquote, that we think we're going to have in our businesses, even in our lives, I think we're, a lot of us are going to get out to our end of our life and realize like, wow, that really was not what I thought I was supposed to be chasing. It was so much more in the ingredients that I wasn't even looking at. Yeah, I think from, from, from what you're saying, it's really important. So first of all, I, you know, I feel humbled that you, that you uh, shared such kind words. Um, but I'm curious to know how you actually use peak performance to make sure that you are living a life that's optimal for you, for you to not feel that feeling later on down the life. Like, first of all, for those who may not be familiar, what is peak performance? And then how do you implement it in your life? Yeah, great question. So a lot of times I'll have, like my podcast centers on everything from business to biohacking. And if you're not familiar with the biohacking term, that is just how do we, uh, biohacking is a stimulus and a response. How do we uh, how do we expose our brain to a stimulus and then get a certain response we're looking for? How do we expose our body to a certain stimulus or our eyes or, you know, uh, nutrients? Eat, move, sleep. What are you eating? How are you moving? How are you sleeping? All of that involves biohacking to where you are looking for a stimulus and a response. And when it comes down to peak performance, that could mean a lot of different things to different people. But to me, it means how are we thriving throughout our day? How are we thriving throughout a chapter in life or take it on a bigger scale? How are we thriving through our life in a way that helps us reach our maximum, poten our maximum potential at any chapter of life and avoid absolute burnout, fatigue, negativity, self-sabotage, all of those sort of things that I talk about. And the reason I say from business to biohacking is I have people from executives, Fortune 500 CEOs that tune in that are looking for things like time hacks, looking for meditation in the middle of the day, looking for breathing exercises to reduce stress, all the way over to neurologists who are really understanding how the brain and body work together and how even things like affirmations in your morning routine really set the course of the day or how you prepare for your evening routine, which hopefully we talk about here in a moment, your evening routine, 80% of a great morning or a great day for that matter actually starts in the PM, not in the AM. And so to answer your question there, I know it's a long, long answer here, but to answer your question, peak performance means a lot of different things based on whatever chapter of life you're in or whatever niche of life you're in. But really it's how do you thrive from the time your eyes wake up in the morning until your eyes go to sleep at night and then carry that further into restful sleep to where you can be the absolute best version of you and how really what we said earlier, how you don't waste a life by being mindful and noticing relationships as well. So there's several layers to that, as you can tell. It seems like there's a wide variety of things that you can do in your life to achieve peak performance in that particular area. So would you say from, from all of the areas that you've studied and experienced yourself and implement in your day-to-day -day routine, are there core areas that people should focus on when molding or creating their peak performance routine or uh, any exercises that they should do in particular? Well, I would say that, and this is going to be a really boring, non-popular one. I'll just tell you that right now. But I would say that most of the people that are tuning into your podcast are in a highly active role. I'm just guessing. I mean, you probably know your demographics and can fill me in on that. But they're in a highly active role. Anybody tuning in or subscribing to a podcast about leaving a legacy behind, that's action. Like, you, you can't just wake up and have... Uh, you can't wake up and have an incredible life. You have to design it. It has to be built in because if you let life just happen, you'll get steamrolled and end up where I was, right? Even though I thought I was really working toward it. But I would say the biggest thing, the most boring thing, but the most helpful thing is going to be sleep. I have hacked my sleep over the last year and a half in ways that if you had told me two, three years ago I would be doing, I would have thought, 
like, have I gone crazy? What am I doing at night? Why am I taping my mouth shut every single night? Why am I sleeping with an eye mask on and earplugs in? It's because I want to get absolute restful sleep so that I can perform better every day because I'd always been the guy that slept like four hours a night. I went in 2015, March of 2015, I went and saw a neurologist because I literally thought my brain was turning to cabbage. I couldn't focus on anything. I couldn't concentrate. And this is not just like, oh, my thoughts wander. I would try to share that with people and they go, oh yeah, it's hard for me to focus as well with everything going on. I'm like, no, this is like, this is something different. So I go to the neurologist, top ranked neurologist here in Texas. He and his staff literally take notes for two hours, asking me questions about my diet, my sleep, my mindset. What am I doing during the day? What about my kids? What are my stress levels? And at the end of it, he slaps me on the shoulder and says, tell you what, we're going to run you through a bunch of tests because we want to make sure if there is something going on there, we don't miss it. And you're going to pay a lot of money for those tests. But I'm here to tell you, in all my years of practice, I think you need to go to bed. And of course, I'm thinking like, like I want to hear that there's something. I want to hear that I've got like a brain. I want to hear that there's something there that's causing this that we can remove, right? And so, of course, I'm like, well, okay, doctor. I I know why you would think that, but I don't think that's what it is. And he just kind of looked at me with skeptical eyes and said, okay. Like I said, we're going to test you and we're going to go. And so, uh, he had me start tracking my sleep on a 10-day rolling average. He said, track it on a 10-day rolling average so that it is more uh, precise with, with how you're spending time in bed. Therefore, my first 10-day rolling average that I recorded, four hours and seven minutes of sleep. And it wasn't that I can't, it's not that I can't sleep. It's that I just went to bed late after working on things and then set the alarm for really early. So I was just, I was my own worst enemy. I just didn't, I was so competitive. I didn't want to stay in the bed. So then I started getting that up to five and then six and then now I'm at seven. So I'm getting seven hours of sleep, really want to start pushing that to eight. But the whole point of that is people don't want to hear that. People want to hear that it's some magic ingredients to peak performance on something else. But in the nighttime, early morning time, it's absolutely sleep. Uh, There are so many studies out there that I can send you that you might link up into show notes or whatever about sleep that would just blow your audience, my audience away. But we got to get more sleep, guys. Your brain does a cleansing effect at night. It removes all of the stress residue, all of the um, you know gray matter, new neuronal connections, new. Um, I mean, the brain, the brain for many years, you know, up until just recently, was thought that as you get older, your brain just shrinks, and you're more susceptible to Alzheimer's, dementia, all of that. Now, what they're finding in the last ten years through fMRI machines and the scans that they're doing. Uh, they did a study over in London, by the way, of taxi cab drivers who had to go like all, I mean, y'all streets are like crazy. Like they're, they're everywhere. It's a little different than here in Texas. And so they started looking at taxi cab drivers in London versus taxi cab drivers in Houston or Dallas or somewhere where it's just a pretty much a circular loop around a city. It's pretty simple. And they realized that there's more gray matter and there's more brain matter in their memory and everything that they're doing. So that led them to other studies. But we can actually regrow the brain, guys. So if there's anything that you want to study for peak performance, you got to start with the brain and the brain is most affected by sleep and diet, but especially sleep more than anything else. So that's the nighttime. If you want to talk about the daytime from the moment you wake up or really, again, if we're looking at the evening before you go to bed or the moment you wake up, it is hydration. It is absolute hydration. I have been dehydrated for so much of my life. Water is boring. It wasn't something that I loved. And once I really started understanding the benefits of hydration and why so many people have brain fog, Alzheimer's, dementia, that's not the only cause of it is dehydration, but that's a lot of it. But if we're going to tap into peak performance, as you can hear what I'm saying, Vipple, is it it all involves the brain. We've got to be well hydrated. We've got to be well rested. And this whole hustle grind mentality 
Like if you can find a way to be well-rested and well-hydrated and you want to still say you hustle and grind with the best of them, man, kudos to you. But I haven't figured out a way and I haven't seen a lot of successful people do that. You sacrifice something with the amount of work that you put in each day. Uh, but hydration is easy. It's one of those things that doesn't cost anything. Just drink a ton of water. It's just people don't want to do it just like I didn't for so long. You touched on quite a few important things there. You know, with this, with this, I would just go back to sleep first because you mentioned that first, and that's definitely something that I'm prone to. Which is, you know, if I'm in the bed, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really productive. I'm not doing anything. Like I'd rather be awake. I, at one point, I got this is very recently as well. I mean, earlier this year, I used to get so pissed off that I used to think, <laughs> I wish we didn't have to sleep. Like I wish I could function without sleep. Why is my body that weak that I have to yeah. go to bed? Like I want to just stay up all night, all day, and just work, 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 and just. And it's not even like I'm trying to prove something. It's just that those are seven or eight valuable hours I could do something with. But then I, you know, now I've started taking into consideration the fact that it's actually productive because it reduces like your cortisol levels, stress levels, and all that sort of stuff, and helps you feel refreshed in the morning. So, yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, my interview with Sean Stevenson. One of the things that I knew that I wanted to ask him about because I was learning so much about it at the time we did our interview was your adrenals. Uh, when your adrenals are shot it does increase uh, stress. It increases adrenaline, cortisol. Many times when you wake up in the morning, have you, you ever gotten up really fast in the morning to go, um, you know, get a doorbell or just something that gets you up a lot faster in the morning where you're forced to get up and you do what I call just like the junk, drunken giraffe walk where you're, you're trying so hard to like not run into walls and you're just running into walls everywhere. That's your, your, your cortisol is spiking. It's trying to tell your body to like slow down. Like we're not going to let you function properly because we're trying to get you to slow down. But I am not uh, kidding with your listeners whenever I say, and many, 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 many other podcasts and resources would tell you this out here. We are in a global sleep loss epidemic. And those are strong words, but they're real words. The average American right now only sleeps six and a half hours each night. And for a lot of people, if they get five, they're like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. You know, there's some, there's some pride wrapped up in that. Like, oh, I can, I can operate on five. And that's how I was. My parents didn't sleep a lot growing up. And I, I had a lot of pride in that. But before the light bulb was invented, I believe early in the early 1900s, before the light bulb was invented, uh, people I know for America, I'm assuming where you are as well in London, they were sleeping over 10 hours a night. You think that doesn't affect a society? You think that doesn't affect performance going from 10 hours a night to six and a half a night as an entire society? And so sleep has, you know, literally been um, declining fire society over somewhere around the last 60 years. And uh, it is the absolute, that and water are the absolute um, building blocks for peak performance, no matter what else you throw into the mix. And I'm a biohacker by heart because, again, I was forced to. I'm always testing things. Nutrition, movement, sleep, eat, move, sleep. That's what I always live by. But sleep and water, two super boring things. That is the key, man. And I, I wish there was some like, like big presentation, like some hidden thing that I could give you. Like, here's what it is. It's that. It's so boring. It's right underneath our noses, but we're not tapping into it each day. I guess we, we live in a, in a society where people feel like the, the answer has to be sophisticated. It has to be a lot more than what, the, what meets the eye. And sometimes it's not, you know, it's sometimes it's, it's as simple as looking back to when you were a baby. What did you do? You slept all day because your body needed to grow and develop. Yeah. You were feeding and eating all the time. And if you weren't doing that, you were hydrating, you know, either through breast milk or, or juice or water or something. You know, those three things yeah. are always there. Um, so 
the I've got a funny story actually about the hydration. It's, it's quite funny this happened recently. So where I work, because I work in recruitment, and so obviously everyone's go go go, cold calling, pitching, you know, just trying to trying to make commission. And one of my colleagues that sits opposite me, she was she was feeling really tired, and she said to me. You know, she just looked up and she was like, I slept eight hours yesterday. I don't get why I'm so tired. I was like, how much water have you drank? She was like, I yeah. just, just had a small cup. And I was sitting opposite her for the past six hours. I was like, you haven't drank much water. Trust me when I tell you, go to the kitchen, get two cups of big water, drink them straight away. And then you tell me how you feel after five minutes. And then she comes back. She's like, yeah, no, I actually feel quite good. I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's see how you Isn't feel. Isn't that amazing? Uh, unbelievable. It's amazing. And, and, and then the next day, she comes in in the morning, she has two cups of water and she says, I'm going to do this water trick again. I was like, it's not a trick. That's how your body works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's how everyone before us operated before <laughs> we got into the lifestyle we're in now. Yeah, uh, every morning I drink a, uh, I've, I've got this uh, system at the house that we use because tap, I mean, there's so many studies on tap water as well that I wouldn't have known had I not started really studying this where even here in, uh, in Dallas, major metropolitan area here in Texas, is, you know, there's over a hundred, there's a website you can go to. I don't have it right here, but I'll, I'll send it to you if you want to link it up. But there's a website you can go to for people here in the U.S. where you can actually look at all the additives and all of the approved, you know, things that are not good that go into water as, you know, they approve them as not deadly or not toxic. But it doesn't mean that they're not bad. And so what it is, is it's chemicals, it's fluoride, it's all these sort of things. Um, Mark Sisson from uh, Primal Health even comes out and says that, drinking tap water is a very slow way to reduce your health because of all of the, you know, of all the things there. But every morning I drink 64 ounces of water. I do what my good friend Alex Sharfin calls hyperhydration, which is you just get down 64 ounces of water before you walk out the door as fast as you possibly can. And there was a time where I would have thought like, oh, that'll make me sick. That'll make me sluggish. I'm ready to like get out of the gate whenever I start the day you may feel a little full at first, but your body adapts to that. And so when you walk out the door, when I walk out the door now, it is just like an instant wake up. It's an instant pick me up. If I have any allergies that morning where I'm, you know, got some sinus stuff, which are really bad here in Dallas, instantly clears that up. I'm ready to rock and roll, but I wouldn't feel that way if I didn't have the water. But then also uh, sleeping at night. Uh, the, the book by my friend Patrick McEwen, The Oxygen Advantage, taught me that if you sleep at night with your mouth open, which most people do, let's face it, you roll over, you've got your mouth open, that is the biggest source of dehydration at night is just sleeping with your, with your mouth open. So what do I do at night now? I tape my mouth shut. Sounds crazy, I know, but I tape my mouth shut with 3M surgical paper tape, totally safe, non-toxic, uh, hypoallergenic for any of you out there wondering, but I tape my mouth shut every night. I'm sure my, my wife likes that. Uh, but uh, I also put in earplugs and I also have a sleep mask on because there's so much data that shows that any light that comes in the room, I just posted an article yesterday showing that if you're letting light, uh, this is from Ben Greenfield, if you're letting light in your kid's room at night, uh, forget keeping them off sugar, light at night, there's plenty of research that shows that it builds insulin in their bodies overnight. So if you're going to have them cut out the sugar, you might as well cut off the light in their room as well. So we want to black out our rooms we want to get the temperature down to somewhere between 60 and 70 degrees, closer to 65 if you can. Sleep like, like a baby. Um, uh, my good friend Dave Asprey has a bed of nails. or uh, There's a company called Bed of Nails, but he also has his like sleep induction mat where you sleep and you lay down on these like spikes and it feels like you know a fire on your back at first and then your back kind of calms down and it releases these chemicals, these endorphins that allow you to go to sleep very quickly and no alcohol before about three hours or three hours before you go to sleep. So some people may hear this if they've never really 
traveled down that path before, just like I was, and might be like, dude, that's so much work. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to simplify things, not make things so much more complex. But if we're going to fight for our health and we're going to fight for peak performance, you have to do these things because you can't just live a life of default. You have to design these things in. Uh, and, and I've just been blown away by how better sleep and better hydration, simple as those things are, really are the key to my peak performance and what I highly promote and am uh, evangelist for, you know, for everybody out there because it's something we're overlooking. I'm interested in a little bit about you touched on the water and uh, the fluoride and et cetera that we've got in there. And I've read a, a, not a few studies, but I've read a, a few articles. I think they were mentioning some studies and also a couple of videos that talk about that. And I, I naturally do feel that, you know, if the water is running through pipes that are rusty constantly, your body's going to naturally pick up metals that it doesn't need. Um, acid is going to become more acid rather than alkaline. And you're going to be operating in a way which you're it's probably not good for your blood. I can only imagine, you know, because I, blood health is also is also really sure. important in terms of the nutrients you're getting. And I guess it can affect you in all kinds of ways. So if you could just share a little bit about the articles you've read and some of the studies that you found interesting on that topic. Well, and I'm not an expert on this by any means. I would direct you guys over to the book uh, Headstrong by Dave Asprey. I heard Dave was putting out a book what, two years ago? And I thought, man, how, how can Dave put out a book on anything new other than what he's talked about? I mean, his podcast is known worldwide, the whole bulletproof movement. Some people think it's a fad, they think it's a gimmick. But if you ever lived that lifestyle, you know how much testing and research has been done. And, and I'm not here just to promote bulletproof. I just know the book Headspace really blew my mind with mitochondrial health, light health or lack thereof, but then even getting into the water. And so I would direct you guys over there. If you haven't read the book or listened on audio to the book Headstrong by Dave Asprey, it, I'd studied so many things. I'd go to the Bulletproof Conference each year. I'd studied so many things that he's understood and spent over, you know, almost 400 grand of his own money to understand all of this stuff. And his book was a culmination of really a lot of these biohacking or peak performance measures and talks about a lot of the things that I'm telling you, which is sleep and water. But he goes into the data and into the uh, real, I don't know if it's science, but just the real understanding of how our water systems are so depleted by chemicals, fluoride, goes, does a very deep dive more than I could ever do on this podcast into that. And I would really uh, encourage you guys to go and look at that. And then also I'll send you the link for the, or for the people here in America that you can look up every city that you're in to see how many approved additives are allowed and it's not that they're it's not that they're so bad that they've been declined it's just that they're not bad enough that they've been allowed in <laughs> but that doesn't mean that they're not bad and so you can see like here in Dallas uh, whenever I looked it up on the site it's over 60 additives that have been allowed to be put in water that are just not bad enough to be declined but it doesn't mean that they're good and that's what we're drinking through our tap system every day and so uh, spring water is probably the best out of all the research that I've done uh, a super double osmosis uh, system that, that is very popular in homes today that people who really understand water are putting in there. And again, a lot of your listeners are going to hear this just as mine did at first and might think, man, I'm, I'm just not about building that much complexity into my life. 
and it doesn't mean you have to. Different things affect you in different ways. I might be able to get by on less sleep or more, I might need more sleep than you need. But I think over time, if we're really going to hit higher levels of peak performance, don't get caught up in the minutia of all the sleep, the water, all the things you have to do. Start testing. I'm huge on testing. If you go to my resources and tools page on my website, you'll see the different things, whether it's um, morning routines and health or evening routines or just biohacking things that I do. That list will continue to evolve as I test things because I want to know for me personally, which is going to be different than you or any of your listeners, I want to know for me personally what is going to help me operate at absolute peak performance levels. Hydration is key, but you've got to get super clean water sources or you're really you're really damaging uh, the, the goal that you're trying to go for here. So when you talk about getting super clean water sources, I know there's different ways that you can go about that in terms of having a filter put in or a tank or you know, something of that nature. What is it that you're using that you feel works for you? Yeah, so if you use a, uh, what I just referred to as a double osmosis system, and again, the, the Headstrong book goes more into it. And the only, reason that I'm, the only reason that I'm referring people over there is to where they can actually get chapter by chapter breakdown of that more than what I feel like if I try to really describe it here, we're just going to skim the surface in a podcast and I might leave your listeners with not false information, but I just may not be able to go into it as much. But uh, a double osmosis um, uh, metallic water system where it's filtering through a couple of different cycles and getting any impurities, anything out of there is going to be the best thing. Um, not endorsing this company by any means, but one of my favorite is Mountain Valley Spring Water, big green glass bottles that you can buy over here in the U.S. at Whole Foods or Central Market or different places like that. Uh, they've got sparkling water now. Before it was just the flat um, water. I think it's bottled in Arkansas from a super uh, clean spring and they even run it through some osmosis as well to clean it out even more. But spring water is going to be your best, like natural spring water uh, outside of that, it's going to be the double osmosis. And then outside of that, you're buying more just um, the, ta- or you're getting more of just the tap water. One great mineral, mineral water that I really encourage your listeners to go and get is San Pellegrino. It's the highest mineral content water out there. And it is an acquired taste. Like I didn't like mineral water for so long because it just kind of tasted metallic, acidic. That's all the minerals that are in there. But San Pellegrino has the highest mineral count per uh, millimeter and uh, Pellegrino is probably the lowest. Like on Pellegrino, it says mineral water. And then somewhere on the front, it says like super, like, or not super, but it's like low source of mineral content water. <laughs> like they're, you know, they have to put that on there. But San Pellegrino is good for people in the South in the US. It's Topo Chico or near Mexico. Um, but just go find what works for you, but make sure it's a clean source of water and spring water that has been, uh, that has been cleaned is the best. Yeah, I guess they, they do sell it in, I think, in some stores here in the UK. They have, you can just read it on the label, it says spring water. But I think when you're at home, you know, during the weekends or during the holiday season, et cetera, or even whether you're at, you're at work and you're using the tap there, you need to ensure that, I guess, you've got a filter because whilst that may be expensive initially, yeah, time it becomes it becomes cheaper for um, in, in terms of your health. You know, you're not you're not jeopardizing your health later on down the line, and it's easier to just open the tap and fill up a glass, knowing that there's nothing more you have to do to it once it's already yeah. fit, fit in. A- absolutely, and uh, I would say if you're traveling or if you're in a if you're in a point where you can't really control this, you're on on your own. It's going to be you know, San Pellegrino comes from Italy, so you can pretty much find it all over the world. Again, highest mineral content water. Uh, if you're in the US or maybe where you, I don't know what you guys sell over there, but uh, spring water is going to be kind of your second best bet there. But uh, both of those are fine uh, because they're very clean, very healthy. But 
the, the bottom line is we need more hydration. I, I would go as even as far as I wouldn't encourage people to drink tap water, but if you're not drinking anything, I mean, there was a time period, honestly, where I would go a couple of weeks, I'd wake up, I'd drink a couple of cups of coffee or an energy drink. I would probably drink some sort of Coke or tea for lunch. I would drink some sort of that same like crystal light mixed up, full of aspartame, you know, whatever. Cause I just, I wanted the taste. Like there's a comfort in that. Even when I didn't need coffee, I was drinking it because there's comfort in that. Right. Um, and I would go a couple of weeks. I remember telling that to somebody one time. I was like, man, I really feel bad. And when they said, how much water have you drank? This professional baseball player that was a good friend of mine down in Houston. I said, man, I probably am drink water. No joke. In like two weeks. He's like, Oh, come on. And I'm like, no, really? Like, like I'm thinking through what I drink every single day. And I have no idea how I was alive, like knowing what I know about water now. So the key is, again, boring topic, but so life-giving. And so back to our point of peak performance, if you can do anything during the day, it's, you know, even more than eating clean is hydrating. Um, I can't stress that enough. Yeah, I think uh, I think we we've stressed that point enough, and it's it's definitely important. It is one of those topics that's not really talked about, you know, especially no, on, no. on podcasts and things of that nature. You know, people want to just talk about the hustle, the grind, but you need to remember to be able to do those sorts of things at the highest possible level, your health has to be intact. And if you want to do that more, if you want to work more, then take more care of your health. And that's what I'm realizing as well. Even though I because my schedule is quite dense, most of my listeners know, so I work. Um, from 8 30 in the morning and then by the time i finish it's like seven and i come home it's like half eight and then I'm yeah there. what time is it there now that you're recording this it's it's uh 11 p.m so <laughs> I, have to, <laughs> yeah, I have to be up at five but see this is what i mean so yeah yeah it's not, it's not i do i do want to sleep more so i try on the weekends and friday nights i try rather than going out and partying i try and take that time to sleep rejuvenate because i know during the week my mind's just constantly you know 24 7 on the go so um, yeah but one interesting thing you mentioned about the, the bed of nails, I think you, it was called. Um, one thing that came to mind is like, I'm not sure the, in terms of the science behind it. So you might be able to shed some light on this, but is that supposed to then reflect how we used to sleep way back in the day? So, I mean, you know, obviously we didn't have beds generations ago, generations, generations ago. People used to sleep like hunter gatherers and stuff, sleep sure. outside. And that sort of imitates you're sleeping on rocks or like, you know, uneven ground, you know, that, that your body's actually used to rather than sleeping on a flat surface, which is comfy, so to speak, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's a little, I, I see what you're getting at there. I think it's a little bit different in the sense that this is scientifically designed to release certain chemicals into the body, into the bloodstream with those. I mean, if you, uh, again, the company is called Bed of Nails, but you can find this if you go to Amazon or, you know, really anywhere else that sells anything health related stuff that has this. There's probably a ton of companies that make it, but mine is from Bed of Nails. I've got the other one for Bulletproof, the sleep induction mat, but it's just, it's got these little discs with these like sharp plastic things that poke up and they're just they're all over this mat probably the length of your back or a little bit shorter than your back and um, so what you're getting at there is being able to adapt to your surroundings no plush bed no plush pillow you know those sort of things uh, I'm off I, I wonder just in light of your question if people slept better back then because they learned how to sleep in any environment right this is a little different from a scientific level to actually release chemicals and endorphins into your body and hormones into your body that cause they cause a lot of pain at first, but then they cause typically a deep sleep because they relax the the back with the science behind it. Um, and so it's just, it's a little bit different, but I like where you're going there. Uh, there's a lot of people I know in the health community that won't sleep in a bed. They won't use a pillow. They'll just sleep on the floor. 
And even if they go to a hotel with a nice, super plush bed, they'll just sleep on the floor with no pillow. Uh, I worry sometimes about the neck and um, muscles around the neck and things like that because, you know, I don't know when some people started doing that, but it's like, you know, you get used to sleeping on a pillow and then you try to start doing that. You could really screw your neck up a little bit or have all kinds of like knots in your neck, whatever. But find a bed that works for you. But 15 minutes or so before you get ready to go to sleep, lay down on the bed of nails or sleep induction mat you'll feel your, you'll be, your back will be kind of screaming at first, but then it'll just slowly die down and then you'll feel yourself getting a lot more tired. And it's not just a feeling. I mean, it's the science behind what your body's releasing to kind of like combat that feeling. Interesting. Yeah. I think we will definitely link, put a link in the, in the show notes for those who are interested. I'm definitely going to check that out because it seems like something that I'd, I'd like to try just to see if it affects um, sleep. Yeah, so much try, it, let me know what, try it, let me know what you think. Yeah, no, definitely, I, I will do. So just, just um, changing the course of conversation just a little bit, I think, I, you know, I was listening to some of your podcast episodes and um, in one of them, you mentioned that you're, you're quite the history fanatic, like you enjoy history and, and likewise I do as well. So I picked up on that. So I was just wondering, is there anyone in particular in history or whether it's a person or an event that's, that's inspired you or that, that you think about, you know, to help you through the the sort of things that you're living day to day now yeah and i and i I claim that i'm like a history fanatic and really i don't know why i mean we're all wired different ways right and there's certain things where it's like we go with the mainstream flow and we like the same things everybody else likes and then there's certain things we like and it's like man i really can't tell you why i'm so about that right and so for me american history um not not that people in american history have gotten it right 100% by any means. I mean, we're, we're all humans. We all screw things up. And so there's a lot of things they got wrong, but just something about, and maybe it goes back to the fact that I've got a farmhouse that my great-grandfather, grandfather, and dad all spent time in. My dad was born and raised there. I'm now the owner of that farmhouse that we fixed up. And it's our country farmhouse a couple hours here from Dallas. And I go out there on my land and it's my family land, but I start thinking back about, you know, original settlers, which no matter what country you're in hearing this, you, you, if you're part of a family, you've got some original settlers of somewhere in your country. But just thinking about the you know, the American story of how they took on the biggest or the largest military superpower in the world, basically around 14 people approximately in a room decided we're not going to go for this any longer. We're going to move forward and we're going to, you know, we're going to change the course of history, just the guts. And, um, and I, and I realize you're over in London. So it's like, you know, we're, we're talking about this here, but at the same time, it's like just the guts and, and the decisions that were made to go against that status quo and the farmhouses and the homes they had and the families they have. I don't know, like even trying to describe it, like it's hard for me to describe, but throughout history, if we don't learn the big, the bigger picture is if we don't learn from history, then, you know, history leaves clues and history has left clues all throughout history. That's why it's it's called history, right? But if we don't learn from history, we will repeat the same mistakes. And oftentimes we do because we don't learn enough from it. But looking back through even, you know, just uh, controversial figures like Jesus Christ and uh, different people who walk the earth that are like, okay, what can we learn from history? What can we learn from the Asian empire, the Roman empire? Um, There are certain things that were done or not done that set the course of history. And I think so many people Kind of like water and sleep, right? It's pretty boring. Like you, you especially younger people, you talk about history and they're like, oh yeah, I, I don't even know where my family came from, nor do they care. <laughs> and that's totally fine. Not to be judgmental here by any means, just because I like it doesn't mean everybody has to. But I think more from a significant standpoint, just like my book, From Success to Significance, it's we can be successful 
But if we're really going to be significant, and if we're really going to help change the course of history, even in our own little window of the world, it starts by taking care of ourselves so we can hit that peak performance measure each day. We can be a great husband, father, leader, business owner, entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it. But we also have to look at history to say, what have people in humankind, though they may be different and from different time periods, what have they done or not done that we can really learn from? And I think that's just one of the things in education that's really lacking is not really looking back at history in a way or far enough in a way that lets us understand where did we all come from and, uh, and the, the, the passion, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, around that and, and learning. Uh, yeah, I think about that all the time, actually, now that I reflect back, because I studied history in school and uh, I, I'm constantly fascinated by where we came from, you know, where, you know, how, how the community in London was built and, and for, for every other city in the world, for that matter as well, you know, how the world came to be, etc. All of these big, big grand thoughts when I've got time during my times of commute or I'm walking somewhere or just, you know, thinking, listening to some music, I'm just thinking about, you know, some of these big, quite bigger questions. And sometimes I think just like you, like, you know, my interests are not the same as everyone else's, but I don't know where this has come from. Like these yeah. genuinely fascinate me. I could sit for hours and talk about this stuff because pondering these, these sort of things make me think, okay, well, and I was going to ask you this. Well, if generations ago people built what they'd built, let's say like your grandfather or um, MLK or Gandhi or Mother Teresa, they did what they did and they created the platform for humanity to continue in a progressive manner. Now we're here. We have a platform built by those who've come before us. What am I doing to raise the platform for the next generation? Because it's just like everyone else, no matter how great you are or how insig- insignificant you may feel, either way, you're not going to be here forever. You know. Yeah. So what are you going to do to raise the bar, essentially? And I, I was going to ask you, is there, when you go back to visit the farmhouse, knowing that it was previously owned by a few generations before you, do you ever think like, like, how does that make you feel? Do you ever think like, what was my granddad doing here? Like, or my great grandfather doing here? Like, how do they feel? Like, well, am I going to be able to look after this place and pass it on the same way they've done it successfully? If that, if, do, you, do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. I mean, awesome, awesome uh, topic to dive into because I do, I do think about it. Um, I do think about it and it's almost hard to put into words in the sense that when you think back about generations before, I think it's hard. I think it's just so hard to focus on because we didn't know, like I knew my grandfather. I didn't know my great grandfather who built the farm or who stayed at the farmhouse that I'm in. It's almost like this abstract thought, right? I mean, you think back about the names you just mentioned, MLK, Gandhi, all sorts of people throughout history that we can name. We hear about them. We read about them. There's controversial things that people say they did or didn't do. And other people argue, you know, is that really history? I mean, it's like kind of this abstract thought out there. But the point is, it's still history. Like so much of what we hear is still history. Wars, battles, conquests, uh, kingdoms, especially over there where you are. I mean, that's just, there's, there's just like the hub of where so many things started. And it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. But the thing that I always think about is the noise that's around us every day. Because, you know, I have a couple of friends that are super tied into political news. Um, I try to stay away from as, as much of that stuff as I can. Not that I don't want to have my, not that I want to have my head in the sand. But there's just so much research on news and reading the news and listening to the news that is so negative. That doesn't help, you know, by, by any means. And I think more and more is going to come out about that. And so they fill me in on certain things. And they'll say, oh, this generation is so different because of this or that. And while that may be true there are so many things that we're going through now or that the world is going through 
that I can guarantee you two, three, four generations ago, they said, oh, wow, we're going through this and it's so different. Like every generation, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, all the early manuscripts say that there's nothing new under the sun. Every, everything that everybody's dealing with is the same thing that people have dealt with before. It just looks different. It's called Facebook versus writing on tablets. I mean, it's just different and, and news does travel faster now. But to go back to your question, I think there was a significance and there was a pondering of history and there was a learning of history that we just almost can't come back in today's time and grasp because of the noise around us. You're a young guy, I'm a young guy, we're getting older, but we're still really young guys. And I'm already starting to see, just from working with older clients and older people, I'm already starting to see that the noise that is invading our personal space every day, which also affects sleep, by the way, and, and how we think and peak performance and all of that, but the noise invading us every day doesn't allow us to stop and think about history. We don't think about our ancestors. We don't think about all the things that for some reason you and I maybe have been a little bit more wired to think about. And I think we would do really well as a society not to focus on new so much, but to focus on where have we come from, where are we going to make the generation better? Any parent, I mean, I've got three daughters. There's no way that I want their life to be worse than mine, right? I mean, I'm always going to work and die if I have to, to make sure that their life is better than mine. So there's nobody that wants to live a generation worse than generations before. And so I think to go back to your question, which is a really cool question about what are we doing, or you didn't ask it this way, but maybe what are we doing to leave a legacy? How are we being better than other generations? I think we have to focus on it. I think we have to really dig and understand. And even if you don't know where like deep roots of your ancestry came from, there's plenty of ways nowadays you can dive into that and figure it out. But if nothing else, just figure out what mankind, humankind, people in general, I mean to say, what have we been through and how can we leave this generation better than others instead of being so stinking busy that we just don't focus on it? And I think most of the time, that's what we're doing. I've been guilty of that earlier in my life as well. I'm really starting to try to slow down and not have all the noise around me to where I can understand and be present in every moment, just like any leader wants to be. But a lot of that is for the history of how I can learn from past generations or past human history and leave this better than you know, what, what I came into. I think some of the some of the issue from from what you were saying, I think some of the issue is also relevant when we go back and talk about the the fifties and sixties. Some of the clients that you have coming to you, some of the frustration comes from the fact that they feel like not only have they wasted time, but it's like, what have I contributed? Like, how yeah. have I raised how have I raised the bar? How have I raised the platform, so to speak? I mean, I, they probably don't put it in those terms, but like that's the feeling that's being described, you know. From that is the feeling. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I can I can read between the lines and see that whenever they're saying it, and it just makes me take a deep breath in and go, "Wow, I, I see how quickly time has gone by. It's only going to go faster." I'll blink, and I'll be the fifty year old sitting there. What am I going to do to not say? I mean, my greatest fear, it, it, my greatest fear, and I don't even know how to quantify this, is a wasted life. Because so many people think they've had, I mean, people who have achieved maybe more than you or I or anyone listening to this will ever achieve. Whenever they get to their deathbed, many times, what do they say? It wasn't the money. It wasn't the success. It was all the things I wasn't looking at that I regret. And I think we'll regret more that we didn't do in our life when we're on our deathbed than what we ever accomplished. Because this humanity, this society, this crazy chaos, all this that we've built around us has told us to believe that it's all about the here and now and the hustle and the grind. What are we struggling for? And it's so hard to, to look back at history and it's so hard to look forward to project where we're going that the success and the here and now is, is all we see. 
And so again, as I started off the podcast saying, I plead with your listeners just to really understand, heed the warnings from those who have gone before us, heed the warnings from those who are older than us, who you see it in their eyes, in their heart, in their mind, they really regret a wasted life. How could we all strive? It's hard. It's really hard. How can we strive to be more present as leaders and the whole theme of your show, how can we strive to leave a bigger legacy? It doesn't happen by default. I promise you that. And um, yeah, I just, I really pleaded with your listeners, no matter what age you are, turn it around today because we don't know how much time we have here. I, I think definitely it's a good message for people to listen to, especially in this day and age where things are just constantly on the go, active, and you're always looking to the next activity that you have to do, the next box you have to tick, the next thing on your to-do list to cross off, you know. And, I, you know, I, I, I fall prey to that as well. And I, I just see life, the whole week passes me by, basically. You know, I write my to-do list on the Sunday. I'm like, cool, this is what I'm doing for the week. Before I know it, it's Thursday, and I'm like, damn, it just feels like a blur. Like the whole week feels like a blur right now. So for those who... So obviously it seems like you've, you've mastered and understood that feeling and you're using it to your, to your ability, to your advantage, sorry, to get the most out of your life. How, for those who haven't maybe felt that or are still um, prone to, to acting um, unconsciously, how would they use that feeling and that concept to then engineer that into uh, you know, achieving peak performance? Man. I've thought that many times myself, uh, you know, had I not had my burnout, fatigue, rock bottom for, you know, for me, what would I be right now? I, I would probably still be heading toward that. It just, it came on faster than maybe my 50 year old, you know, client. So I, I think it's a really tough thing that boy, I, I think you can't, you can't manufacture it in the sense that people can listen to what we're saying. People can hear it. They can replay it. They can listen to this podcast three times and they can hear like, oh yeah, okay, time's passing by. I need to be more present. Okay, maybe I should study some history. The truth of it is, unfortunately, until you hit that feeling of, I don't like where life is going. I want to be more present. I want to be more in control of my feelings and thoughts and health. Um, and, and why do people feel that way? They feel that way because they hit rock bottom. Right. So I don't have an answer for you there. And I don't mean to give a, a comp out, cop out and not answer this, but that, that's the truth. Like my answer is I don't know how to answer that because it takes a very special individual. And I would put you in that category. I mean, you're 26 years old and you're already having thoughts that are ahead, way ahead of where I was at 26. And I thought I was really on top of like looking real introspectively into things or whatever. So it's like, what makes a guy like you at 26 that hasn't lived as long a life as I have or lived as long a life as somebody who's in, in their 60s and realized they have a wasted life. Like what makes you tap into that? There was something that probably happened. There was a life event. There was a chapter. There was an observation. Something made you tap into that to where you feel that way. So my, my answer, my, I don't have an answer to your question, but my, my uh, thought or I guess my suggestion to your listeners is basically heed our words. I mean, it, how many people does it take? I mean, you don't have to hear from us. You, you guys couldn't even have listened to this podcast and you still know people in your life who regret things that they've done. They're way older and they wish they'd done other things. Either you're going to get out to that age and you're going to be holding your head high of the things that you've been super intentional. I keep going back to this idea of life by design. You're going to be very, uh, I mean, we, we grade ourselves, uh, we grant ourselves very negatively in most cases. That's just the, that's the way our brain works, right? So you're always going to wish you'd accomplish more, but that's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is you're either going to hold your head high and realize, realize that I designed this in a way that I don't think my life was wasted. 
yeah, are there things I wish I'd done differently, right? Are, are there things I failed at? That's actually a good thing if you're learning from them. I mean, failure is good. If we don't have that, we're not, we're not learning. But it's the wasted life. It's the, I didn't focus on the things that were important. And I hope for your listeners and for mine as well, that you don't get your life to the rock bottom point, whatever that means for you, before you realize like, wow, there's a lot of people today that aren't subscribing to the hustle and grind. Do they want to be absolutely successful? Absolutely. Just beyond measure, I want to be successful. But it's not for the same reasons that I wanted to be successful in my 20s. It's to leave the legacy behind. It's to make an impact. It's to have an imprint on society. It's to leave this earth. Uh, I mean, a lot of things I talk about in my book is the legacy statement of Jared Warren and how do I leave a legacy behind where people, uh, people are impacted, not that they remember, but they're impacted by the things that I did. Because if you think about people who will remember me and remember you, it's a little bit depressing if you think about it. I mean, maybe, maybe one generation, maybe two, you get out three generations, are people really going to remember who we were? They won't remember us. But if we can impart that legacy and that imprint on the generation directly next to us, on my daughters, or on the way I treat my wife, or on the way I treat my clients, if there's some just little imprint I can leave on them, that then extends down to the next generation and the next because of that imprint, we'll be gone, right? I mean, we won't see that. But what a great aim to be able to strive for here on this earth. When we're long gone and forgotten about, our imprint, our legacy lives on. I think we, so you touched on some great points there. And um, one of the things that I was just thinking about as you were talking is that in terms, because I was thinking about what is it that makes me feel this way or, or think in this way? And yes, there is a couple of, couple of things that happen in, in my life. But I think more so than that, over time, I guess you become consciously aware of the fact that you have a biological clock that's ticking. You, you just become more in tune with your body. Like this, this all fits in, like everything we're talking about, like peak performance, everything. You naturally want to do that stuff and seek that stuff because you're like, I have one place to live, which is my body. I have to make it last if I want to live properly and, and be happy and feel the endorphins and, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I want to be able to be mobile and do this and that and the other. I need to look after my body. Fine. Then if I want to have a good life, I need to have enough money to enjoy and do the things that I want to do. Right. Let me figure that out. And then friendship, social, like all of these things, when you get that, that you realize the biological clock is ticking, you naturally focus on all the areas of your life that are most important to you and then go and attack them and figure out what's the best way for me to handle it. How, what, what, what does happiness look like in this area? What does happiness look like in this area? And then you start thinking about them more deeply. And then following that, it's almost as if like, the same reason, like maybe you can, you can share some, some viewpoints on this because you've got children. I, I don't have uh, children just yet, but just the way you have children and the natural feeling you get in life to want to pass on your seed and, and to, to continue the, the generation of your, of your own blood, you feel the same way in your work because it's like, fine, that's my children, but that's my children. That's a mm -hmm. different individual. I want me to live on somehow. I'm not saying I want a statue of myself that people look at but because no one's going to really remember what it's for but i want some sort of work that i've done to continue on because it's all well and good to have your children you know you're, you're blessed to have three three healthy daughters which i'm sure you oh, are absolutely but at, absolutely. The same, at the same time you wouldn't be happy knowing that okay yes they're healthy and i've been blessed but now let me tell you tell you to stop working and striving for your goals you're still not going to feel fulfilled yeah your children yeah. are not enough as as a legacy it has to be like an all-encompassing package 
them and then the work that you've done as well, which I've realized because a lot of people fall prey to saying, oh, my legacy is my, my money or my children or my house that are passing down. Like that's material stuff. That's not you. Like what have you done? Which is what I like about your book where you talk about impact. How are people going to remember you in terms of how you made them feel? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the thing I think of whenever you say that is we are the, the Greek word, telos or telos we are teleological beings just within our wiring i don't care what country what sect what community what family what nationality you come from we have proven as humans that we are teleological beings meaning the greek word of telos is to hit the mark think of an think of a uh, you know back in the the roman empire or whatever where people are using bow and arrows or you know in in america native americans here over in america you blindfold somebody, you know, they wake up every morning and their goal is to hit the mark, right? But you put a blindfold on them and you spin them around, spin them around, spin them around. And then they go, okay, I'm going to hit the mark. And then they shoot their bow and arrow and they go, oh, did I hit it? Like, what are the chances they're going to hit it? Right? Because there's nothing by design. Like there's no training. There's no, you know, whatever. We are designed to want to hit the mark. So we're not just going to get out and just blindly do things, right? We're going to try to design our lives and there is significance in the fact that we can leave a legacy behind with what we did with our lives. But I think if we stop there with the way we're wired and we, the way we want to hit that mark, if it's just for us, if it's just for us, my belief, this is just me, my belief is we will go through a lot of heartache. We will go through a lot of headache. We will go through a lot of loneliness. We will go through a lot of unfulfilled desires in this life because everything that we were striving for was just for us to accomplish something. Money won't do it. People make millions, billions of dollars out there, commit suicide. I mean, money, to, money is proven not to make us happy. So it's not the money, right? It's the impact. Research has shown over and over. It's the impact. It's the fulfillment of what you leave behind. And even though you're not here many times to see that, you know what you're working toward in your own life. So for me personally, absolutely, I want to be successful. And that looks a lot different now in my 30s than it did in my 20s, thank goodness, because I had my life change but most of my success, quote unquote, is to hit the mark every day for whatever it is that I have in front of me. But my big fulfillment, my big fulfillment is to leave my family, my blood, my kids, and then extended people, the friends, the family I have around me in a way that their actions are impacted or they are impacted by me so that their actions long after I'm gone in some way reflect what I have done for them. If you think about uh, a child, and there's plenty of research on this as well, you think about a child that's in an abusive situation or uh, has a father that beats on them because he's an alcoholic or he's, uh, you've got some sort of, you know, issue or whatever. What does that person's life look like whenever they become an adult? In some ways, it's in a reflection of what that person has done to them, right? What do my kids' life look like? I mean, they can still go out and make their own mistakes, just like I did. My parents did the best they could with me, and I made my own mistakes, but, but there's going to be some remnant of that. There's going to be some remnant of the way they act by the time they're adults that hopefully is, a, is an impression of what I left on them. The love, the care, the instruction, the, I mean, there's an element of peak performance that we keep talking about that comes with parenting and just mentoring as well and coaching. It doesn't have to be in business or athleticism or whatever, what, you know, whatever you want to put it in. So I think in a roundabout way, the answer to your question is my, like my, or the thought is my big goal is to when I'm long gone, 
not to be the guy that made the most money, not to be the guy that was a millionaire by a certain age, not to be the guy that was whatever, check the box that I've done or, or that I want to do. I think I'm going to look back if I live long enough to kind of reflect back and see this, I'm going to look back and go at a young age, I learned the building blocks of what was important. And though I didn't get it right all the time because I'm human and I fail constantly, I learned from those failures and my imprint was left first and foremost on my family, which is my wife first and then my children. And long after I'm gone, there is some remnant of that impact that if I could, you know, look down on earth after I'm gone and see what people are kind of playing out, living their lives out as, I see a remnant of that being, you know, in a positive way being lived out in the lives of others because of the way I live my life. I love that you just covered that because it now takes me nicely into into the, my final few questions. And one of them was exactly that, you know, about the legacy you want to leave behind. So just, just following from that naturally then. So, you know, that, that being the, the, it was actually the last question, but now I'm going to make it the first question and switch it up here since you're on this topic is that, so you talk about the, the important thing that you want to leave behind is how you make the people that have been in your life. So your family, your extended family and your friends, how you make them feel. Have you gone as far as to think what feeling you want to, you want them to, to have when they think back on you being in their lives? I, I haven't. Uh, that's a, that's a great thought. Um, my big life change, all the sleep stuff and the 180 degree change that I made when I really started tapping into a lot of the self care and peak performance and all of that and where my podcast came from, that happened three years ago. And I know when I was in my 20s, it still seemed like time went by a little bit slower. But like when you get into your 30s, especially if you, as you have kids, I mean, you blink and like three, four, five years goes by. Um, I have been taking it a day at a time, a week at a time on getting this change in my life um, more purposeful, more intentional. And I haven't gotten to that point yet. And it's a great point that you bring up is if I'm really trying to leave that, that remnant behind, as I keep mentioning, where people live out a portion of their life because of my influence. And not for me, not, not, like not selfishly, but to improve their life. It's the impact, right? How do I want them to feel? What do I want them to take away from that? That's something, uh, I don't know if I've ever heard that question before. So kudos to you for asking that. Um, but now that you've asked it, you better believe it's going to be on my mind. It's like, okay, I can leave an impact on them, but how do I want them to view that? How do I want them to feel? To me, that question just gives more significance and impact to what I'm trying to go for um, than just it happening in their life because of my, my presence or my, you know, my efforts. It's how do I really want them to view that? And I think that only happens by being more intentional about it. And as leaders, for your leaders out there, the biggest thing that I think are harming leaders today, leadership's hard. I mean, leadership is very hard, and I've learned that over the last few years. But I think the biggest thing that are hindering, biggest thing that's hindering leaders today is not being present. It's the same with dads or parents, for that matter. But for me, for as a dad, as someone who leads a forty-person office here that's growing, as someone who leads a full-time financial practice, as someone who wants to be great to my friends, I am guilty of not being present. And until I really get that in then people aren't going to feel a big impact from me, even though I'm working toward that. So great, great question. And something <laughs> when I, you know, whenever I get off this thing, I'm going to write that down and just realize like, okay, how do I want them to feel? Like I, I've never thought about it that way before, but certainly worth meditating on. For sure. I, I, I like what you said earlier about the fact that you have to be intentional about these things. And it's the, the, the reason we're not, I think, and this is what I've personally suffered from is because it's painful. 
you, 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 to, to get your mind to sit still and focus on one task, which you don't know the answer to, like you have to solve that problem. There, there is no one that can give you that answer. That's you. You have to figure it out. And then, and then your brain tries to run away from it. It's like, okay, pain, 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 run away to what's good. What, what's easy. Okay. My favorite TV show, or let me check my phone, whatever it is. And, uh, we, we, you know, we naturally avoid it because of that. But I think, you know, as you said, being intentional about it definitely helps. So. Yeah, it's, it's, again, I can just go back to the phrase of life by design. And we all know that a great day, I think I mentioned earlier that 80% of a great day or more happens in the PM, not the AM. So you can get your to-do list ready. You can answer your gratitude questions or write down your gratitude thoughts. You can get everything ready and go, man, I'm just going to absolutely murder the day tomorrow. Like I'm going to be so on point, teleological, I'm going to hit the mark because I am wired to do that and it's going to be an awesome day. And then what? You get tied into screens in your face at night, all the blue light, go down the wormhole of just YouTube videos, you stay up, you read an email. Don't check emails before you go to bed. There's nothing good that can come of that. You read an email, somebody that's upset, and now you can't go to sleep for the next three hours because you're thinking about it. You totally just sabotage the great morning you thought you were going to have. And you can still get up and try to fake it and make it. But I think it takes design. It takes purpose. Even, I mean, there's so much research out. I'm sure you've read books before that talk about setting your workout clothes by your alarm clock at night. People hear that and they're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Do they do it? No, a lot of times they don't. But set your, I mean, it's too, it's too simple, right? So they look over it. They're like, oh, that makes sense. But then they look over it. Set your workout clothes by your alarm clock at night. So when you reach over and hit your alarm clock, you're feeling the workout clothes. You're going to be way better. Something, I mean, we're so silly as humans. We're so fickle. We're so, we try to be so strong and such leaders. And it's just little simple, stupid things like that that make us get up and operate and run. But all that that I just said to say, if you're not living a life by design, a great day is not just going to happen. A great day is going to, or a great, what could have been a great day is going to steamroll you over if you don't get these things in, in check. And that is just really my passion now with not only my financial advising clients that I'm working with and the advisors I'm coaching here in this office, but my private coaching clients, my friends, my family, first and foremost, um, just I fail daily. I'm human and I am, I am failing left and right. But how do I look at that? Do I look at it as feedback or do I truly look at it as failure? And that's where the biggest shift for me has been is failure is feedback. And if you learn from it, that's where maybe in your case at 26, you're further along than I was maybe because you've learned from some of that, that failure, you've, you've used it as feedback. And I think I just really want to encourage everybody to do that and just continue to improve your life and then leave a remnant of impact, big or small, doesn't matter, on those behind you and you've left the world a better place i love it i love that i love the way you put that towards the end the failure being feedback i've never i've never thought of it in that way but it definitely does serve as feedback rather than being a deterrent uh, because it, you know when i because i started a few businesses in my early 20s and i thought it's very naive thinking but i thought if this doesn't work the first time then i, I quit business altogether i quit just just <laughs> my own thing. You know, i'm gonna yeah. just go back to get the job and that's it you know i'm not i'm not gonna waste any more money but then obviously you, that's not the way it works that's the whole point of you having failure because it serves as feedback for later projects or later experiences so um but yeah i mean just to cover off the the, the other two questions which i'm interested to hear you you talk about is from everything you've now learned and all the experiences you've been on is there anything different you tell the 18 year old jared Ooh, hey, I think it goes back to what I mentioned a second ago is, had you told me all of this at 18, unfortunately, I don't know what would have changed. 
because I was hard-headed and I was stubborn and uh, most 18-year-olds are. I mean, not everybody, right? I don't want to put everybody in that, that, uh, demogra- or that, uh, that category there. But I really think it takes you getting real with your why and learning from those who have gone before you back to the whole history idea that we talked about. History leaves clues. History repeats itself. And whether you're all about history or you think it's boring or you don't know who your family members were and you can't go on ancestry.com or genealogy.com and trace all that stuff back, that's not what I'm talking about. Like, I love doing that. And I've done that for a long time now. And I can trace my fatherhood back to the early, or, yeah, the early 1700s. And um, that's great. That's cool. But if I didn't know that history and if those who have gone before me hadn't done all of that to where I can now pick up on the research and do that, Really, all I have to do is look at the people around me, whether they're in my family or not. History leaves clues. So people around me are older. People around me are telling me things. People around me are talking about burnout and fatigue. People around me are talking about becoming 50 and having a wasted life, even though you would look at their life at 18 and go, wow, so successful. I so want to be them. I would really just plead with your, with your listeners, whether you're 18, 20, 30, 40, 50, if you've never hit rock bottom, man, that's awesome. Hopefully you never do. And there's people I know that, that have had an easy life. They've been successful at whatever measure and they've just, they've just gone on. Uh, but I wonder if those same people might get to the end of their life and go, man, did I really give it all I had? Did I really learn from those who had gone before me and really try to structure my life differently from a design standpoint than just a default standpoint? So to tell the 18-year-old, Unless, until you hit that point in your life where you know there's got to be a change or you feel the pain of the uh, path you're going down, whether that's the loss of a business, the loss of a goal, the loss of purpose, the loss, fill in the blank, whatever, you may not change unless you heed our words here and so many other people out there where you just end up taking a step back from life, calling a timeout and going, man, there's a lot of people older than me. I'll be there someday. What can I learn from them? What is their history, even if they're not my family, what is their history shown to leave me clues? And how can I start tapping into that now versus being the 40-year-old who's hustled and grind and chased after these things and been stressed out and been a terrible friend, called myself a leader, but I really wasn't leading anybody. I was more sabotaging myself and then go, ah, okay, now I'll, now I'll turn the corner, which I did at 33 how can you at 18 or 20 or whatever age, how can you start that now? That's my plea for you. So I, I like some of the things that you mentioned there is looking at others that are older than you and trying to take away f- from what's happened in their history. And I think, you know, there's a, there's a twofold point there that I want to mention that is, is one is you can, I think you can only be 18 when you're 18. You can only be 25 when you hit 25. You know, it, it takes that many years for you to get to that point in your life to realize, you know, what it's yeah. like to be 25, you need to live 25 years. So it's difficult uh, from, from that standpoint, you know. And the second thing is, I think, um, I think uh, Warren Buffett says that you, you should learn from mistakes, but they don't necessarily have to be your own. So you can learn from, from what Perfect. other people have done yeah. and download, download those experiences into your own mind to simulate what it would be like and think, okay, he's gone down this path. This is what he said over the last two decades, he made this mistake. I have two decades ahead of me before I get to his age. Maybe I shouldn't make the same decision he did because he's now experiencing. I don't have to waste my time because I'm learning. So this is where I think podcasts and books and resources and technology today allows us to have that breadth of information. That Yeah, you know, we, we live in such an unbelievable time. I mean, people who can't find, and again, I don't mean for this to sound judgmental at all, 
because people come from way worse circumstances than I have and, you know, whatever. But just in general, just human population out there on the earth, if you can't create opportunity for yourself in the technological time we live in, in the social media time we live in, I mean, there are so many resources at everyone's fingertips uh, to create a path for themselves that many times, I think just to what you just said, many times people don't focus on that person that's older than them, like Warren Buffett or, you know, whoever, they don't focus on that because society has taught us to focus so much on what can we get out of the deal? Um, selfishness, pride, ego, hustle and grind. I'll mention again, all of that, our society, and we've done it, we've done it to ourselves, but our society has been set up to say, go get what you deserve and go fight for what you deserve. And yeah, these people out here have learned whatever, but they're all old people and they're not like you and you're going to be way better than them. I don't care what generation you live in. It looks different before the television was invented. Things look differently before space uh, travel was invented. Things look differently before the internet was invented. Things look differently. There's nothing new under the sun. It just looks a little differently. And I think we are very wise to look at those who have gone before us, those centers of influences those older people in our life that we really look at and go, man, that is a noble way to live. How did they get there? Well, they didn't just get there by waking up one day and their life was totally different. They designed it in and it's probably the same stuff we've talked about. They had little chapters in their life that they looked as fail- they looked at failure as feedback, not as the end result. And they changed their life as a result. So again, I, I know we can talk about this for a long time, but some people, honestly, it's going to take them hitting rock bottom. For the majority of you listening out there, I hope you heed our words and you, you start at whatever age you are today. Even if you're older than us, you start at whatever age you are and looking ahead and going, okay, the people that I'm closely associated with, what regrets do they have? What feedback do they have for me? How can history repeat itself in their life for me so that I now start turning somewhat of a 180 in my life from the way I'm thinking, the way I'm performing, the way I'm acting, and we don't have any wasted life. Doesn't mean we get it right all the time. We're still human. We're, we're going to fail. But how can, we can, how can we keep from having a wasted life? And uh, yeah, that, that's the biggest message I can leave today. That's a, that's a good message and a powerful one that peop- I, I think uh, people should definitely take away and try and embody moving forward. So regardless of the, the age you are, you know, whatever age you are, you still have time if you're listening to this, you know. So and this, the second question, which is now, you know, the final question, just to wrap this up um, before we get into you just letting people know where they can find your podcast and coaching sessions, et cetera. If there was something that you could write on a piece of paper that would put, be put in a time capsule for generations from now to dig up and read, what is that phrase or that sentence that you'd want people to, to read? Man. Um, besides don't waste your life, uh, because that, I mean, just from this talk, that's what's on my mind and, and really in, in all my endeavors, what I feel passionate about. I think what I would leave there and, and really hope that they heeded whoever found that whether it's a member of my family or somebody else in, in humankind, you know, somewhere out there that I have no connection with, that know me, is to be present in the moment that you're in. We are so, I've mentioned it a couple of times here, we are so about chasing everyone else, chasing social media, chasing society, whatever you want to talk about as far as what we're chasing. And I think we miss a lot. And that's been, you know, I've loved this podcast because it's not just a success message or it's not like, oh, how do I time block during the day? I mean, those things are great. And I love talking about those things and organization and being successful at what you're doing. This podcast has meant so much more to me because you've really helped me to pull out um, or, or helped me to display to your listeners what I really live for, which is being present in the moment, 
which up until three years ago, I wasn't being uh, in a position to leave a design or leave that, that remnant of impact on people behind you at whatever age you are. And, and let me tell you too, it doesn't, even if you and I live till 90 years old, we don't have much time, how much time we have here in this earth. Even if we live till 90 years old, there's a part of me that thinks that if you don't start tapping into that, whenever you realize it is crucial, you'll just keep delaying it. And then you'll get out later in life and you could live a very long life and still look back and go, wow, I, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, maximizing the time that I had. So what I would put on that message is be present in the moment that you're in. Look at history as to how it leaves clues. Figure out how you're going to leave a remnant of impact, big or small, on the generations behind you with the resources that you have. And though you will fail, use that as feedback, not the end result. And I think you can hold your head high at the end of life no matter when that comes yeah, I, I guess it all boils down to your to your message that you've you've kept saying, which is you know don't don't live a wasted life. Uh, I guess that's the biggest regret you can have, and and one that obviously you're passionate about to not allow it to to overtake you and to to allow it to be your message when you come to the end of your life. You don't you know you you don't want that to be the thing that you regret the most. So um, it's been a pleasure having you on, and um, I, I want everyone to know where they can find all of your material, where they can hear more about this from from you. You know, so wh- where can people find your podcast, and if they want to have coaching sessions with you, where can they also do that? Oh man, thanks so much. I'm just so grateful to have, you, you mentioned it earlier that, you know, we've got podcasts nowadays, we've got audio books. I mean, we're living in such an amazing time, uh, maybe a time unlike ever before where you can create opportunity and you can more than anything download so much education from, um, from others. And uh, my podcast is the Success 101 podcast. It started off as a hobby and has now become a top 50 Apple podcast podcast. I'm incredibly grateful for that. And uh, you can find it by searching really anywhere that you find podcasts, um, primarily Google podcasts, Apple podcasts are going to be the biggest ones. My coaching programs, which took me two years to develop because I was just so picky on how how they were going to come out and how, how they were going to really impact people. Those can be found on my website at success101podcast.com forward slash coaching. And then my book, which right now my team is offering, uh, if you're in the United States hearing this, you can get the paperback version for just the shipping cost at success101podcast.com forward slash book. And if you're outside of the U.S. where you are, just uh, go to the ebook reader. You'll get a digital download for that. And, um, yeah, those are those are the primary places to find me. Awesome. No, it's been a, a great pleasure having you on. I think this podcast has definitely run over time, so I hope it hasn't taken too much time out of your day. But it's, uh, it's oh man, I, can, I I mean, I, this kind of stuff you can talk about all day long because yeah. what's more important, right? I mean, what's more important than a wasted life? And really, if nothing else, just getting people to stop out of their busy, crazy day, pull them away from the business, and say, as simple as, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" Because if we are those beings wired to hit the target, which I know we've all been created to hit the target, teleological beings, at some point in our lives, we're going to ask that question, whether it's sooner than later. My hope is we never have to ask that question because we do learn from history and its clues and we start doing it earlier in life. But at some point, you're going to ask that question. So man, I'll take all the time in the world to talk about this because there's really nothing more important. That's the whole uh, key to my book, um, which I'll show. I think I had it here. So, so this is the book here. Uh, if you can see this, From Success to Significance, a step-by-step guide. I really created it as a workbook more than a um, more than anything. So you'll see a lot of stuff like this in there where it's, um, you know, a lot of things in there for vision planning and goal planning to write out your legacy. 
who do you want to be? There's a to be exercise, my to be list, my legacy list, which goes right along with your show. But I tell people, even if you don't read the entire book, just go through the workbook. And there's been a ton of great feedback from that on maximizing your vision and just really thinking about life differently based around everything we've talked about here today. So I'm grateful to be on your show. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time out. I appreciate it. And I definitely look forward to having you back again one day. Absolutely. Love to be a repeat guest. Thanks so much. Dan, that was probably one of the longest episodes I've done so far, but it was so enjoyable talking about some of the deeper topics, scratching under the surface of what it actually takes to achieve peak performance. And the fact that the most obvious things to achieve peak performance in terms of breathing, drinking water and sleeping are all basic things that we've been doing since the beginning of our lives, but we just haven't focused on. Anyway, if you found anything interesting in this conversation, please DM me at Know Your Legacy and start a conversation. Follow me on Instagram and leave me a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and on YouTube. You can see the face-to-face version of this episode as always. All interviews are, on, are available on video on the Know Your Legacy channel. You can follow Jared on his journey at Jared Warren Consulting on Instagram or facebook.com forward slash 101 success 101 podcast or on YouTube success 101 podcast. To find out more about everything that we spoke about, check the show notes and you'll see all the links there. Until next time, remember, you're only one decision away from becoming a legend.